continuing series, Only Human. And I'm going to be starting in uh, verse 15. So hear the word of the Lord. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you should eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the fields and every bird of heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a, found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And when he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that, was, that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we, we, we uh, ask and we seek your Holy Spirit's guidance and your Spirit's um, illumination of our hearts that you would open up that we might see clearly what is already here, which is your revealed will, your infallible and errant word. And Lord, so this morning I pray for myself, a broken vessel, um, inadequate in so many ways, that you would use this vessel uh, for your glory this morning. We pray all this. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're, t- we're in a series called Only Human. And we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be a human? And, and there's a lot of answers to that question. It's a very complex question. Um, but we've been just kind of asking some basics. And if you go back here to the early chapters of Genesis, the Bible answers some of the fundamental truths, some of those fundamental aspects of what it means to be a human. And one of the things we've said is if you miss some of these fundamental points, then all kinds of problems and confusion and chaos comes out of it. So, for example, I said last week that if it was the, the, how the Germans answered what it means to be a human was what led to mass genocide and the Holocaust. They said to be a truly human, you had to be Aryan. You had to be white. You had to have blue eyes and brown eyes, even though their leader didn't. Right? But it, but it led to terrible things. And so how we answer this question, what is a human? And what does it mean to be human? If we miss that, we mess that up, it can be disastrous. 
And we see it all around us, even today. And so we saw the first week that God created man. And he created man in his image. And what that means, the implications, if God created man in in his image, that means every human being that he created is created in his image, which means they have value and significance. Because they can reflect the person of God. They can reflect an image who God is. So, and, and, and that is the only category we said, is that if you're human. And the problem is, if you don't have an imago Dei, you don't have a theology and a philosophy of an imago Dei, an Im- image of God in every human being, then all kinds of other categories start to come into place. What color skin you are, how, how smart you are, how rich you are, all kinds of other things. We even mentioned capacity. And then in the, the abortion debate surrounding what, what, can, a, can a baby make a choice? And if they can't make a choice, then they don't have a capacity. Therefore, they're not fully human. And then Carl Sagan, the famous scientist, said, well, if you say that for them, he agreed with that. But if you say it for them, you have to say it for the uh, people that are severely mentally ill. You have to say it for people who are senile and they can't make choices and so on. So it has broader implications than we thought. But we are created in God's image. We have value and significance. Secondly, we saw last week that God created humans as male and female. And that was his beautiful, perfect design. That he would create masculinity and femininity that could come together. We're going to talk about more of this this week. That would come together and and not uh, contrast each other, but actually complement each other. Working together, creating something beautiful. Well, this week, um, we're going to ask, we're going to be looking at another question of what does it mean to be a human? And we see here in the early passage of Genesis that a big question of what it means to be human is how we relate to one another. And what does that look like? And, and in particular, the issue of marriage and what that means. And so we see here in this first chapter, oh, excuse me, second chapter of Genesis, that God designed marriage to meet our need for companionship and provide an illustration of our relationship with Him. Okay, but let me just stop here because what we're going to look at today is marriage and human relationships before what we call the fall we're going to look at next week in chapter three something drastic something terrible happens that's going to affect everything that we know everything that we experience in this life including our relationships but i think it's good to look at it and say how did god design this what did he design what's the ideal here what is god and in that what is christ working to redeem and bring us to. And we can see that here in this passage. But I just wanted to say that that because of the fall, a lot of the things I'm going to say today have been abused, misused, and and have caused all kinds of pain and suffering and all kinds of things. Okay? But I just want to make, make that clear. I'm understanding that, and we'll mention that some as well. Okay? So let's see first of all this morning. See here in this passage that God designed us as human beings 
to be in covenant community. God designed us to be in covenant community. Um, was a pretty well-known preacher. His name is uh, Matt Chandler. He, he reminded, he, he talked about this. But um, have you ever seen the movie Castaway? Castaway, I don't know the, remember the name of the character because he, he doesn't talk to anybody throughout the whole thing. But the, Tom Hanks is the main character. And he, he was on an airplane that crashed. And he ends up cast away on this really small island all by himself. And the timeline is like 10 years. Well, while he's on this island, he finds out of some boxes, this FedEx plane that fell, he finds a volleyball. And if you remember, there's a point in the movie, he cuts his hand, and in anger, he grabs that volleyball and throws it with that hand. And he had blood on his hand, and it, and it put an imprint on the face of that, that volleyball. And, and later on, he picked up the volleyball, and the, and the imprint looked like a human face to him. At least close enough. And he... And this little volleyball becomes his best friend his 10 years on this island. And he names him Wilson because it's a volleyball manufactured by Wilson. Right? And so if y'all remember the movie, goes on and he's, he makes his, he has his friend and his friend keeps him company in the rain and storms and all the hard times, whatever. And he finally figures out a way to get off this island like somehow sailing out on this raft and he's out on this raft, and this huge storm comes, and th- this little volleyball that he has, like, taped onto a stick with some uh, VHS tape or something. If you need to know what that is, kids, I'll tell you later. Um, and, and, and the volleyball comes off, and, and, and it gets separated from him out in the ocean. And there's this moment. I remember seeing this in the movie theater. And there's this moment where he's losing Wilson, and he, he's almost going to leave his raft but he and, he and he loses Wilson and he's like Wilson right and I remember looking around the theater and people were tearing up and I was thinking that's a volleyball but here's the thing that that points out and, and we re- resonate with that because can you imagine being stuck on an island by yourself for that long and, and something like creating a volleyball friend is actually not that unusual in that kind of scenario why because as human beings there's something deep ingrained in us that needs other people it starts as early as little kids and keeps going in our lives it drives a lot of our life that we would be in community and relationship with other people and and so but it's not just the reality of having other people around it's one thing to have, you, it's, it's possible, and I've experienced this, it's possible to be around a lot of people and to be lonely. I remember, I, there was times when I was growing up in Atlanta, and I was around a lot of people all the time. And, you know, I mean, it was just Atlanta. There's a lot of people. There's millions of people there. And there was time, but I, I wasn't, because there's something deeper than just being around people. We long to be in a relationship in which we are accepted and loved unconditionally. It's who we are. And if that doesn't happen, especially in those foundational years of our lives when we're children, 
When somebody doesn't have that, it causes all kinds of havoc in their life later. When their mom and dad doesn't show them the love and affection that they need as a child, it creates serious problems. But we all long to be in a, commu- in a relationship in which we are loved and accepted unconditionally, right? Every teenager, they, they just started last week. They walk into the cafeteria, what do they do? They start scanning. The, the teenager scans, start, scanners start hitting the room. What are they looking for? Somebody who will say, I like you. Will you be my friend? It's huge. So what kind of relationship? That relationship, and the Bible is described as a covenant relationship. And that's opposed to a contractual relationship or a conditional relationship. So a covenant relationship says, I'm going to be in relationship with you no matter what. Because I want to. Because I, I choose to. No matter, there's no condition in you that, that's going to make me not be in this relationship. That's what the covenant relationship is. As opposed to a contractual relationship which says, okay, if you do this for me, if you do that for me, if you look good enough, if you're smart enough, or whatever your categories are, that those things are in place, then I'll be your friend or I'll love you or whatever. And, and the problem with that is, what happens when that goes away? And so what we are designed for as humans is not just to be in relationships with other people, but that we would be in covenant relationships with other people. And so there's this deep need for that. And we see that in Adam. Because God is creating all these things. So up to this point, he's created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke light and the world into being, and all this, and the animals are being created, and he creates man, and he says, it is good. And then all of a sudden, God turns around and for the first time says that something's not good. And here in this passage, we see him say, it is not good that man would be alone. It is not good that man would be alone. And so, and almost as if God is wanting Adam to really feel that need. So he brings all the animals, all these creatures before Adam. Because Adam now has been charged to be, this, we talked about this for week one, this co-creator, this vice regent, this representative, this uh, manager of God's creation. And so God brings all these animals to him. And it says, and, and God brings him, these animals, to be evaluated and therefore, and then named. So he's going through this process of naming and evaluating all these animals. And the process is going on because God has said it's not good that he's alone. And so he's like, well, can I hang out with giraffes? Nah, they're too tall. You know, about that hippo? Nah, he stinks. You know, who knows what the process was, right? And maybe a dog came up. And he's like, yeah, man's best friend. I got this, you know. And he's like hanging out with a dog. And he's like, you know, dogs are cool, but I need more than this. And it says that there was not, it says here, a helper that is fit or suitable for him. And God recognized, and the man feels it too. He's like, There's, I'm out here by myself, and these animals are great. I love animals. We love our dogs, right? We love our cats or whatever. But it's not, they can't substitute what can happen when you're in a covenant, loving relationship with another human being. And so it says, but for Adam, there was not found a help for, helper fit for him. That's verse 20. And so, 
what happens here? So we see God create the woman. And, and he creates this woman. And, 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 and really what happens here is not only he creates the woman, but he creates the woman and he creates the woman for marriage. Okay? And, and marriage, as we see here, is a primary way in which man and a woman can find this covenant community relationship. Now, let me just stop here and say, I did not say it's the only way we can find covenant community relationship. One way area we can find that is in the church with other people. And you might say, well, what if you're single? Does that mean I don't fit in the world and all this kind of stuff? No. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul remained single. Single is a great gift from God. And Paul even encourages people to say, hey, it might be better for you to be single that you can devote yourself totally to God. However, we see at this beginning stage that God used marriage as the primary. I'm use that word, not the only. The primary means in which a man and a woman come together and experience covenant community. And so it's very important. It's, it's, and we're going to talk about this at the very end, how important it is and what it really shows us. But it's huge. It's really, really important. Okay? And so, it doesn't negate the huge need, whether you're single or not, if you're not married, you need community. You need covenant community. So, for example, I have a friend who um, struggles with same-sex attraction. And he's a believer. He believes God's Word, and he believes... He takes what God's word says and says, I, I believe that God's word says that that's not natural and that's not where God wants me to be. And he says, and until God can change that about me, I'm going to be single. And he chooses to do that. However, he's smart. He knows that he needs to be in community. He needs to be in relationship. And he's very intentional about that because he knows how to covenant community with other people okay now so first of all we are designed for covenant community secondly we are designed god designed us as complementing counterparts or have companions on the screen there okay i'm using some word i'm coming up with as many illust- i'm trying to use c words here it's gonna get funny <laughs> but he's, he wants us to be complementary complementing Counterpart. So look with me in, in uh, verses 21 and 22, if you don't mind. It says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into the woman and brought her to the man. And so God, what we see in this passage is God uh, took part of Adam and creates this woman. We're told that he creates her out uh, out of the, this path. This translation says rib, and that's how I've always heard it, rib. And I was always told that men have one less rib than women. Is that true? It's not. I don't know why they would tell a lie like that. That's just terrible. Well, let me just ease your consciences if that's something you've believed. And and it's really that it's not a rib. It's a part of his side. It's not necessarily a rib. You know, it's not like the dry rub or anything in there, okay? And so, but what we see here 
in this picture, it's a picture, and it's already been displayed as he's, pull, he, he's taking from Adam a helper. He, he's seeking a helper for Adam. Okay, now, a lot of people hear the word helper, and they think, well, that, that must be demeaning. Now that subservient or whatever. And it, what they don't realize is that this word helper is the word Ezer. Have you ever heard the word Ebenezer? Well, Ezer, Ebenezer means God is my helper. And in, in passage after passage, Psalm 33, Psalm 70, Psalm 115, and many other places, God himself is the helper. And God comes and to help his people. What is God doing when he comes to help his people? He is, what God does when he helps his people, when he's an Ezer, he is filling up, completing what is lacking in something else, particularly his people or human beings. And so a helper is someone who fills up what is lacking in another. And so the woman here is a picture of uh, it, number one, he, we've already seen he's, he's not complete. It's not good that he's alone. So something's missing. And so God creates out of his side the woman to fill up and complete what is lacking in the man. It's an awesome picture. And let me say, my, my own marriage. Y'all know me and my wife, some of y'all more than others. Those of you who know us better know my wife, Amanda, fills a lot of gaps in me. I think she fills a lot more gaps than I fill in her. Okay? But she does. That's just the reality of it. Um, and so, when God helps his people, as Ezra, it means he does for them what they cannot possibly do for themselves. And so, the helper, the woman, comes along to help the man in ways in which he's incomplete. And I think it goes vice versa as well. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, Matthew Henry, I'm, he's a Puritan. But this is an amazing quote. He's a Puritan that most people know him by his commentaries. He said this, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. It's a great quote, isn't it? But here's the thing. There is an implication here. And, we're gonna, and it's in, by implication here, and then more explicitly later, in Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Peter, and Titus, several places, in which the, 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 the male and the man in a marriage relationship is called to be the leader, to be the head. And this is, this is cause, again, this is controversy city, even within the conservative evangelical churches and so on. It is controversial to talk about headship and submission. But th there's a picture here. Now, again, and there's a reason for that. There has been all kinds of abuse, discrimination. I mean, there's a whole, and all of that because of the fall. But the picture here you see is that the man is called to lead. The woman to come and fill what's lacking. And so... Even though these are, you know, submission and headship or likened to oppression, cruelty, enslavement, dangerous vulnerability, can't pretend that such associations don't exist would minimize 
sin. I mean, it really would. To, to say that that doesn't happen, to ignore it. Okay, so well, let me just say this. What I'm advocating this morning is not what has traditionally happened between men and women. What we advocate is what God's word says should happen. And, it, and because of sin, it doesn't always happen. Okay, so what does it mean, headship, leadership here? Number one, it doesn't mean you're the boss, and it doesn't mean you're the, the superior. You're, you're running the, every show, every part of the show, okay? It's, it's that you would lead, that you would, you would be the first to, to step out and to sacrifice and to protect and to move forward and, and, and do the things that need to be done. Get off the couch. I, I, when, I've, when I do marital counseling... I, I usually sit down, at least at one point, sit in front of these young men, and I say, listen, you've got to beat your wife. And both of them are like, what? I'm like, yes, you need to beat her, saying you're sorry. Beat her to forgiveness. Beat her to the dishes. Beat her to the garbage. Beat her, beat her. You are the leader. You just stepping out here. You're the responsible one here. It's your job to do that okay okay and why i think men and women operate differently and complement each other in the world so tim keller put it this way men and women were created equally in dignity of their being but differently in the shape of their being and so the way god created us although broken and marred by the fall Okay, and we, stretch, we talked about this more in depth last week. Okay, it's because of our differences. Okay, we complement and enhance one another what you like. And so, uh, let's put it this way. And you talk about relationship. Okay, because I have a lot of friends, Bible-believing Christians. We disagree on this. They're what they would call, they would call themselves egalitarian. That a man and woman are equal in every way, all the time, even within their roles and within the relationship. And there's a problem with that, though. C.S. Lewis pointed out this problem. He's like, you know, marriage is supposed to be forever. It's supposed to be until we die, until death do us part. However, he says there's a problem. If, if you are going to stay together forever, you have a couple options. Or in your relationship, if you're going to try to do the egalitarian thing, where both people always have an equal vote all the time, you have three options. One option is you can always agree. You always agree. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my relationship with my wife and anybody, we don't always agree. <laughs> and so what happens if you really disagree at one point? So the second option he gives us, he says option one is you always agree. Option two is that when you finally do really disagree, not, not just about little stuff like does the toilet paper go over the top or under the bottom, you know, how do, how do you roll up uh, um, the toothpaste, those kind of things. But when something serious comes down and you really disagree, now you're at a stalemate. What do you do? So, you, so either you always agree or you have to dissolve the marriage. You have to say, okay, well, we can't agree. We're going to have to give this up now. And that happens. Almost half the time now, half of marriages don't make it. Third option is what he called a tie-breaking authority. And that's a little bit what's going on here in this passage, is that 
that, 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 that in, a, in a relationship, a man saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out and lead, the woman saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit and honor. And when it comes down to it, my wife says, Russell, you got to make the call. This was a tough one. We don't agree. And you're going to have to take responsibility. Now, you know what I'm normally saying? No, I don't want to take this. You, you make decisions. That's usually kind of how it happens. Like, I'm trying to shirk responsibility, and she's pushing it towards me, which is the way it should be. So let's put it this way. Let me give you all an illustration. Uh, John Piper gave this illustration. He, he described a couple, a, man, a, a young man, a young woman, who met at this ministry outing or whatever. And the man, he really liked this girl, whatever, and didn't know much about her. Uh, and so he, but he, he liked her, he liked, you know, and they started talking. And so he invited her. He said, hey, would you, you, know, would you like to go to dinner? You know, I'd love to buy you dinner or whatever. So he takes her out to dinner or whatever, and uh, they had to, you know, park their car and walk a little ways. And so they had this great dinner, and they're getting along or whatever. And uh, this, they're on their way back. And this, uh, these two men with, like, poles or sticks jump out onto the sidewalk and say, we want everything you own. And they look at the guy and they say, actually, we want her too. All right? And so the guy jumps in front of this lady, okay, and gets into a fight with these guys. And they have sticks, whatever, and they start beating him senseless. I mean, they really start beating him up. Well, what he didn't know was that this girl he's with is like a top martial arts uh, fighter, like in her age group range in the United States. And so she jumps in, whoops both of these guys, but he's beat up, so he calls the ambulance, and they're in the ambulance, and she looks at this guy, beat up, you know, messed up or whatever, and she, she looks down at him and says, man, this is the kind of guy I want to marry. You know why? Because it ain't about competence. It's not about, it's not about who's good, better or worse or whatever. It's because she recognized, she saw something amazing about him that he is willing to step out, sacrifice, and give himself away and even put his life in danger for her. And she was like, that's the kind of guy I want. So what we see... God's perfect design for marriage is two people bring together their distinctive genders and personalities and gifts, and they complement one another. Like I mentioned last week, when the, 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 the guitar flute duet that I was a part of it was two really different instruments. When they came together, it brought something new, something more beautiful than they were apart. And so we see a, a beautiful picture Two people, one stepping forward, sacrificing, providing, protecting, cherishing, adoring, and the other supporting, helping, serving, honoring, respecting. And so, really, it's the ideal picture of marriage and and any relationship, really, is, is two people trying to outdo each other in love in the way that they love best. Two people trying to outdo each other in love. And so... God created us for, to be um, complementing uh, c- companions, counterparts. And then thirdly, God designed us to become cherished companions. Or, without the sea, intimate companions. He designed us to be intimate with one another. So we see in this verse, clearly says it. It says, 
once God creates the woman, and what I love about it too is like he, God doesn't just create her and there she is. It says that God brought her to the man and presents her to him like a gift. And, and then the man, his response is, if you look at the text here, it says, this at last. Y'all see that little phrase in the text? I don't know. If, anyway, it says, this at last. And this little phrase is a, a, kind, of a kind of a weird little Hebrew idiom that's, that's probably uh, best translated something like, heck yeah! Whoa! He's like, yeah, I like her. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, and he's like, I like her. Okay? She's bone of bones, flesh to my flesh, and she'd be called a woman or whatever. And so here he is. He's excited. He sees her. And then it says that they became, that they were to leave their, their parents, their father and mother. Okay? This is a picture that's being described. And they are to cleave. They are to connect. They are to unite and become one flesh. And then it says that they were Naked, they were together, and they were naked and not ashamed. You'll see this passage here. They were both naked and not ashamed. What is that? It's describing covenant love. It's describing covenant love. So what, what it's describing here is utter, total intimacy. Not just sexual, but in every way. That they would be both exposed and vulnerable and known without judgment and condemnation. And so marriage provides... Apart from sin and the marring of all that, can provide a place where we can experience covenant love like no other place. There's no other relationship that's close enough, that's long enough, gritty enough, all that, where we can know somebody that well and still show each other love. That's what's being designed here. And so, is it, this is not contractual. Contractual create shame and we see that we're going to see in chapter three what happens right away what happened they realized they were naked and when we're in marriage and that starts happening okay that's when we need to start applying the gospel because when we start covering up and they're like oh i don't know if i want them to know about that you know that's that's too hard well here we see them sinless and they're, they're naked, they're not ashamed. What you see here is this amazing um, covenant love. Let me tell you, that's one of the things that drew me to Amanda. Was when we started, we started getting to know each other, before, even before we got married, there was this sense that she was going to love Russell, even though Russell's a big mess. And let me tell you, all through our marriage mostly me, <laughs> I've hurt her, I've, you know, she has seen the ugly, nasty parts of Russell, and the grace, and love, and acceptance she shows me is amazing, and that's what's being pictured here, that's the beauty of marital intimacy, that we would know each other to this place, and still show love and companionship without shame, all right? And so this is what can be described as true companionship in marriage. And so one author put it this way. Several things about companionship. First of all, you see them here. Companionship requires that marriage or that relationship be primary. It's to leave the father and mother. It is to 
to supersede all other relationships in your, in your life. And so if you're putting your kids first, or your family first, or workforce, or anything in front of that relationship, you're already cr- damaging that companionship. And so what we see here is that we were to leave father and mother and uh, become one flesh. Secondly, companionship requires that marriage be a permanent relationship. It says that we are to leave father and mother. And, and the text here says, or this translation says, hold fast. The old one said cleave. And what that means is, it's like, the, the idea is like, as bone and, and uh, muscle, excuse me, muscle and tendons cling to a bone, we cling together. That this is permanent. It is not something that is, is easily separated. It means to hang on to, to grip, to cling to. It means to be glued to something. And so true companionship must be in a full commitment. No matter what commitment. Not, if, if we get along that long, we'll be all right. We'll finally, you know. And so man and I, and throughout our marriage, we have a rule. The word divorce is never used. It's not an option. Because we are in covenant relationship that says, no matter what. No matter if you get ugly, if you get sick, or if you, um, you know, whatever. We are sticking together. And that's what companionship requires. And lastly, companionship requires that marriage be an exclusive relationship. Okay? Notice it says man and wife, not men <laughs> and wives. Did you catch that part? That's maybe super simple. But the idea here is that there is an exclusive relationship. It says, I'm devoting myself to you and you alone. And that's the picture. So... Why? Let's just stop here now. Why would God create marriage? Why would he create this particular relationship and make it primary? Not, not to say that these others are bad or wrong or anything else like singleness or what, and other friendships and relationships we all have. It's not saying we should cut out every relationship in our life besides marriage. But it puts marriage on this pedestal, on this pinnacle. Why? And why, with that, and I think for good reason... Because of that, we see the cultural battle being raged over that issue. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God create this relationship? Okay, why create us with a need for other people? In this, in this, okay, why not make us all equally, exactly the same? And why not every relationship just be equally the same? You know, we just kind of check in, check out, or whatever. Why? Well, the, the Bible tells us. First of all, Marriage displays the character of God. The character of God we see throughout biblical revelation that God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. God is one. There's no greater unity and unitedness than God. However, in God we also see That God is three in person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you see this beautiful unity and togetherness. But you also see difference and diversity and difference in person. And so marriage is like a little picture of who God is. And who we 
he, you get a little glimpse, a little kind of a weird little picture, especially in the fall now, of who God is. But secondly, the marriage displays to us the gospel, what we call, what, what means the good news, what Jesus came to do. What is the gospel? The gospel is the story of God sacrificing his only son, sending him to live a life we could never live. Y'all hear this all the time from me. To die a death we deserved so that we could be reunited with him and live with him forever. And well, the Bible uses the language, particularly Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses the language of, of marriage to describe the relationship that Christ has with us as God's redeemed people. And he calls it a great mystery. But what we see is Christ as the bridegroom, willing, willingly laying his life down, sacrificing everything, giving himself away for his bride that he might eventually present her faultless and blameless and beauty before God at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then the church in response and love and honor and respect and submission, loving and obeying and, and honoring and worshiping Christ. Marriage is the picture of that gospel. And marriage is also a picture of that gospel. I already described it. That day-to-day forgiveness. For da- and so nobody can say, Amanda sticks with Russell because she may not know who Russell is. She's figured that one out by now. 16 years, she's starting to figure out who Russell really is and all his quirks and annoying habits and all the, the things that he does. And yet she shows me love and grace and forgiveness. It's a daily, constant picture of God's grace and mercy for us in Christ. So, God created marriage. And if if you're not a believer this morning, let me tell you, it's it's a picture, although so flawed because of our sin, but it can be a picture in the gospel of God's love and grace for you. And it's a picture of what God God did through Jesus to unite you you with him. And all you have to do is believe it, trust it, receive it as a free gift, and it's yours. And you are now a part of the grand (coughs) wedding plans that are being formulated in, in history and throughout the world that one day will be consummated in what's called the great marriage supper of the Lamb. When we all are there, united with Him forever. And those of us who are believers, we need to honor marriage. We need to realize that our marriages aren't just for themselves. They are a picture of who God is. They are a picture of of what uh, the gospel is. They're greater than just us. And And so applying the good news and the gospel and these truths into our marriages make them more beautiful and honoring to God. And so we need to look at marriage. We need to look to it. We need to marvel. We need to celebrate marriage. Not as a uh, saying that other relationships aren't important, but we lift it up the way it's supposed to be and where God put it. So let us pray and ask God to help us to do these things. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy. And Lord, I pray that um, 
I pray for our marriages, Lord, that you would uh, help these marriages function uh, as a measure of grace to one another, that they would um, be true companions, that they would find intimacy and, and, and companionship together. I pray that our marriages would um, be exclusive. <laughs> I have to say that, that they would be committed forever. And Lord, I pray also, just as a church, as a, as a body of people, that we would also share covenant love for one another. As we, as we grow together and we live together and we minister together, that we would be a community that is just radiating in covenant, unconditional love. Help us to do that, Lord. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we're not doing communion today. Just We didn't even have a place to put the stuff. So, um, however, during our closing song, we'll be passing um, our offering plates. And this is a time in our service for God's people to give back a little bit of what he has so lavishly given us. And it's also be a great time uh, to put the connection card in there. Um, please let us know you are here. Introduce yourself to us. Also, how we can be praying for you this week.